It's in Jesus' name, amen. So last week, uh, we took a look at the lives of the early apostles as a springboard for a conversation about choosing an uh, unsafe form of Christianity. You guys remember that? Some of you were here. Some of you weren't here because of the snow, and and that's okay. But uh, if you get a chance, go back and listen to that message. But that's what we were talking about. And by way of recap, in chapter 4, we saw Peter and John, uh, the apostles, Peter and John in the temple, And uh, they were going there to pray, and while they were there, uh, they had an opportunity to heal a man and lead him to Jesus Christ. And so this man was saved, many others were saved, Um, and we see really one of the first moments where the religious order, the culture of that time, began to have a backlash against what God was beginning to do in the lives of his followers. And so Peter and John healed this guy. And, uh, and there begins, uh, there's an uproar, and, uh, and so the, the Sanhedrin take hold of Peter and John, and they put them in a holding facility, okay, while they debated about what to do with these guys. And, and by the end of that time, they realize there's not much that they can do, and so they threaten them, and they said, look, guys, if you keep this up, we don't know what we're going to do, but, but they, they shake their finger at them and say, stop that, Okay. And so then the uh, apostles, Peter and John, they go back to the other disciples, and they meet with the disciples, and they pray. And we talked about prayer. We talked about prayer in this community. We talked about prayer corporately uh, as a way of, of, of calling upon God to help us in the work of gospel ministry. Hopefully you guys remember that. And um, they prayed together. And so after they make an end to prayer, there was a little side story there of Ananias and Sapphira and Barnabas, and maybe you remember that. But, but what do they do? After that time of prayer and after that season, they go, they go right back to the temple. So in other words, the threatenings didn't take. The threatenings didn't take. And that was our conversation about choosing to do the unsafe thing. When culture stands in opposition to us, when people stand in opposition to the gospel, we need to make a decision. Are we or are we not going to move forward in faith regardless of the potential consequences. And that is what we've been talking about. That's what we've been talking about. And I want to I point a couple things out to you. Uh, when we look at the apostles' lives, what we come to realize is that they had a different form or a different style of decision-making than we do. Uh, they were informed by different principles. See, often we are, we're ruled by fear uh, of the unknown outcome. The fear of the unknown outcome, which I think is for most of us the greatest fear, that we do not know what's going to happen. We do not know how we're going to be perceived. And we want to know the beginning from the end of everything. That's, that's what makes us particularly safe individuals. That's what makes our culture safe. That's what keeps us from actually doing the work of God. So their decision making is different and and we're ruled by this fear of unknown outcomes because we don't know how we will be received when we preach the gospel. We don't know what people will say when we go door to door. Many of you don't go door to door and don't do hit hit the streets because uh, uh, you're afraid, right? You're making excuses to avoid that confrontation. All right? And you know what those excuses are. You say to yourself, well, it's just not effective. That form of work is just not effective. That's, you, you know we tell ourselves that, right? No, it's relational evangelism that works. And you don't even do that. So, I'm sorry, sorry. I'm ornery this morning. I actually just learned how to say ornery. I don't think I've ever said it in my whole life. Ornery. No, this is how Deb said it. Shh, listen to me. Deb is very country. Okay, and she, she, used the, she used the phrase ornery. I know, I know, I'm just saying. But no, a lot of us, that's our excuse for not doing, you know, difficult forms of evangelist, evangelism is because we think that we know better. And that's just not true. We, we don't speak up in our classrooms or in our workplaces or with our friends because we're afraid of the social repercussions. We are ruled by our obsession with safety. 
So we self-protect, we isolate, we excuse, we hide, and even lie in order to avoid the one thing that God has called us to do, and that's to teach the gospel. So here, I want you to take this down, okay? As a ministry of young Christians, we have to be honest with ourselves. We have to be honest with ourselves. There is a possibility that we may be a generation of Christians who will fail to execute the will of God. Not because we're unable, but because we're anxious. We might just be a generation who fails to do God's will, not out of inability, but out of insecurity. There's a quote I want to uh, give you. It's not in the PowerPoint. Are you guys familiar with the pioneer missionary J. Hudson Taylor? You guys know that guy? He's a missionary who uh, went to China, and there's a lot to say about him. I mean, he's, he's got an incredible testimony. And, uh, but he gave up everything. He sold everything, and he moved to China never to return back to London, England. Never to return. He went you know, a lot of times, missionaries take sabbaticals because they need to be refreshed. Go back to their own culture, get refreshed, get a time uh, apart, and then go, they go back to the work refreshed. And I get that. He never did that. He never did that once. I'm going to have a hard time with this quote, so be patient with me. This is what he says, okay? I am no longer anxious about anything. How many of us can say that, you know? I am no longer anxious about anything. As I realize the Lord is able to carry out His will, and His will is mine. It makes no matter where He places me or how, that is rather for Him to consider than for me. For in the easiest positions, He must give me His grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. See, the apostles were different from us because their decision-making was principled in their fear of God over their fear of men. Their anxieties were subsided by a sheer will to obey. Listen to what the apostle Paul says in Romans 8.31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who shall be against us? But the problem is we struggle to believe that. So the question remains and will remain for the rest of our lives. Will we sacrifice safety for our Savior? Are we willing to do that? And so our message last week was about the unsafe. And this week is about unwavering and unwavering faith. We will look today at what it means to be unwavering in the face of the enemy's attack. So how do we define unwavering? What does it mean to be unwavering? It means to be consistently unaffected by the trials and difficulties of life. To be unwavering is to be consistently, repeatedly patterned in our unaffectedness by the trials and the difficulties of our life. Now, Unwavering, that word is really important because because waves, they never come in just one, do they? Waves never come in just one. Have you noticed that? They come in multiples, don't they? It's always one wave after another. And we have to understand that if we choose the unsafe path, that the waves are going to come in repetition. In other words, if we pattern our lifestyle after a perspective of risk, then Satan will have no choice but to approach us with a pattern of waves or trial to tempt us and to throw us off course. He will have no choice. We will have forced his hand. And we choose an unsafe and faith-filled gospel, if we choose to do that, then unsafe outcomes will arise. Your flesh hates for you to preach the word, and it will squirm in response to your surrender. Surrender. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The flesh hates for you to preach. The world hates for you to preach, and it will scathe in response to your courage. 
Satan hates for you to preach the word, and his devils will scheme in response to your faith. There is no way you're getting through life without trial. It's coming. The enemy will attack. So key point number one, the faith-filled gospel preaching Christian will always face attack. That's point number one. And, and before we can get into today's message, really, uh, we have to come to this acknowledgement. The faith-filled gospel preaching Christian will always face attack. And some of you know that by experience. Okay, so let's again real quick as we look at, at the remainder of our story address what is safe and what's not, okay? So kind of by way of review, we're going to look at this story. Acts chapter 5, verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles, and put them in the common prison. So back to jail with you, okay? While we figure this thing out. You preach the gospel on campus, at work, to your family. You live the mission as a lifestyle, and Satan is not going to have that. You understand? He's not having it. He will not passively, passively observe your ministry. Do you understand? He won't passively observe it. He won't sit by. He's going to respond. Now listen to me. All the enemy knows is escalation and anger. We talked about that briefly last week. All he knows is escalation and anger, and so that's what he'll do. So he throws, he has the apostles thrown into to jail. And they're awaiting the council's, you know, punishment. What is, the, what is their a judicial decision? Okay? And while they wait, the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Now listen carefully. We understand the command here. Go, stand, and speak in the temple. Go do the unsafe thing. This is affirmation. This is confirmation. That God wants them to go and do the risky thing. He is telling them, disobey your authorities. And go and do the thing that I've called you to do. Go, stand, and speak in the temple. The words of this life. And listen, what does it say in verse 21? And when they heard that, and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. Hearing the voice of the angel of the Lord is all it took for them to go right back. Back to the dangers of the temple for a third time. This is the third time now. You understand? Right? There is no questioning. They don't tell the angel of the Lord, now wait a second here. We just did that. And it didn't work out. There's no questioning or wavering for the apostles. They trust what God tells them and they commit themselves. This is the principled mindset of an apostle. Key point, number two. Our safety is our surrender. Okay, now let me explain that to you. For the spiritual man, the safest place to be is the place of obedience. You're the man. Dude, thank you. Does anybody acknowledge the fact that Gabe is a servant of God? Yeah. yeah. Thank you, dude. It means a lot. Our safety is our surrender. With God at the helm, even if it seems risky or difficult in the flesh, if it profits the kingdom, then it's worth whatever outcome befalls. It does not matter. The outcomes do not matter. And our safety is literally, we, we, we reinterpret safety. We have to redefine it. Listen to me, Christians. We have to redefine what is safe. Safety in Christianity is to surrender your will to God's will. And risky behavior 
for the name of the gospel is the safest thing to do. We don't see it that way. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 1 says. And Moses went and spake these words unto all Israel. This is the end of his life. And he goes, there's a, there's a portion at the end of Deuteronomy near the end of Moses' life where you know how like old people talk a lot? You know, and he's, they wax poetic because they've got things figured out, right? They've got some things figured out. And Moses has got some things figured out here. And he's speaking on behalf of the Lord. And he says, he says uh, in verse 2, I am 120 years old this day. Jeez. I can, I can no more go out and come in. Also the Lord hath said unto me, Thou shalt not go over this Jordan. In other words, I'm not going with you into the promised land. I'm staying here. The Lord thy God, He will go over before thee. And He will destroy these nations from before thee. And thou shalt possess them. And Joshua, he shall go over before thee as the Lord hath said, and the Lord shall do unto them as he did to uh, Sihon and to Og, kings of the Amorites, and unto the land of them whom he destroyed. And the Lord shall, shall give them up before your face, that ye may do unto them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. Now listen to me carefully. Verse 6. Be strong and of a good courage. Fear not, nor be afraid of them. For the Lord thy God he it is that doth go with thee, and he will not fail thee, and he will not forsake thee. And the apostles knew that. And we don't know that. And we don't know that. We don't understand that. We don't believe that. And it impedes us. And it keeps us from doing God's work. Let's continue on in verse 21. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and all the senate of the children of Israel, and set, uh, sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came and found them not in the prison, they returned and told, saying, The prison truly found we shut with all safety, and the keepers standing without the doors but when we had opened, we found no man within. Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple and the chief priest heard these things, listen to me, they doubted of them whereunto this, this would grow. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom he put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have them stoned. Okay, now listen. They find the apostles in the temple, right? And they realize immediately that they must once again detain them for the third time. Third time in two chapters. It's getting a little bit repetitive here. But this time they send a Roman captain and a handful of soldiers to take them, right? So listen. When the Christian is surrendered to Christ, the enemy's weakness begins to get exposed. See, listen, it says first, they doubt. They doubt, don't they? What's it say? They doubted. They doubted of them whereunto this would grow. They're a little bit afraid. They're a little bit on their heels. What's going to come of this? How will this thing impact us? What's going on here? I don't like it. I don't like this. What's going on? Yeah? But then, listen, how their doubt then turns into fear. Verse 26 for they feared the people lest they should have been stoned. Things are out of control. The populace is responding to the authority of the apostles. To the point, so much so, to the point that the government and the religious orders would have caused harm to the, uh, to the soldiers if they would have detained them openly. Right? If there would have been any violence whatsoever... They were afraid that there would have been a riot on their hands because God was beginning to capture the hearts of the people. Now, I think that this is super important, so we're, we're going to address this. Is this idea that your testimony is such that people are torn about you, okay? That people say to themselves, this person is a freak. They believe things that I am not sure if I believe. 
But the one thing I cannot deny is the fact that they are different from me. And I respect them. They're strange. They are peculiar. They look differently. And this is what people, this is what the people in Jerusalem were beginning to see about the apostles, that these were no normal men. And it got to a point where even the Sanhedrin and the Roman authority began to realize the testimony of these men. And they said to themselves, well, if we go about this the way that we usually go about it, we might have a riot. That's pretty powerful testimony. Ain't many people rioting about me. You know, um, you know, Alex and Uriah and I, uh, I were hanging out and we were talking, and Alex was talking to, to me about a hard decision that he was making about a job, right? And he was, he was saying that he was trying to quit his job, okay? Now listen, this is, this is funny. So he's trying to quit his job to go get a better paying job somewhere else where he can, he, there, there's better, you know, opportunities. And the boss of his job came to him and said, uh, you can't go. You can't, you can't leave. And his reasoning was that, that Alex, as you can imagine, in a, like in a mechanic shop, it's a different type of individual that works in a mechanic shop, right? Perhaps a little unruly in the mechanic shop. I went to, the, I went to get my tires changed the other day, and I was at uh, a shop. I won't say the name of the shop, uh, but it was on Warnell, and... It was a tire place, and they, um, there's like, I'm saying this, there's like eight tire places on Warnell, so you're not going to figure it out. And as I'm leaving, one mechanic is cussing another mechanic out, threatening to bash his face in with a wrench. That's, that's the quote. I, and I overhear this, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Customer service at its finest. Um, so this is how I kind of imagine things in a shop. But here's the, here's the testimony that the, the Alex's boss had of Alex. He said, you can't leave because you're too even-keeled. And I need you to stay. And so he offered him a raise and better opportunities to stay, and so he decided to stay. Now, that's, that's a small example of what I'm talking about here because there ought to be a difference in the way that we live, and so much so, so much so, that our presence provides something unique and different to the cultures around us. Key point number three. The surrendered believer's testimony will always exist as contrast to the world. Or at least it should, right? I mean, if you're surrendered... You know, we, we talked about this word surrender as being an important word for acts. And we will continue to use it. Okay, I'm going to use it a lot today. This word surrender is very important. It implies that you've already determined that you're going to do the unsafe thing because it's the will of God. Right? That's what surrender means. And so for the surrendered Christian, that's the faith-filled Christian. That's the unique individual. So the surrendered believer's testimony will always exist as a contrast to the world. When a Christian is completely surrendered to Christ, a great divergence of human character emerges. Our faithful surrender heightens the polarity between us and the world. And we ought to, we ought to want that. We should desire that. Now, now listen, what, what a contrast we see between the apostles and the Sanhedrin. The, the Sadducees were educated. They were educated. They, they were they were men that grew up in academia, yeah? They were pious. They were angry. They were envious. They were unsure. While the apostles, they were simple-minded, faith-filled, humble, temperate, loving, and confident. There was a difference. There was a clear difference between them. When the Sadducees were enraged and confused... The disciples are calm and clear-headed. When the Sadducees take up counsel to devise against them, the disciples take up prayer to set their dependence on Christ. They're different. They're different. Are you different? 
Are you holy? See, what we have here in 34, 35 AD is men living as a light in a dark place. They're a light. They're different. What we have in Christianity of 2018 are Christians that no one respects. Because most Christians of 2018 are busy making excuses to blend into the darkness. That's what we're busy doing. And hopefully you see that. Does anybody remember in, like, in the 90s? Hi, guys. No, like, listen, do you remember the 90s? You, you used to, like, go places and, like, your parents would pick up, like, um, these, these little keychain lights for free. They're, like, free giveaways all the time. Everywhere did. The, in, I, don't, I don't know where they, these came from, the idea of this. But there were these little lights. They were, like, tubular. They were, sh- like, short like this. A lot of them were orange for some reason. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Or they're white, and they have like a realty company's name on the side of them. You guys know what I'm talking about? Uh, go back home and look through your parents' junk drawer, and you'll, you'll find like five of them. Okay, so you, they, they had this thing. It was a keychain. At the end of it, you, you pushed a button, right? Eva, do you remember these? You push a button, and a little light at the end of them comes on. Yeah. The most useless light ever. (laughs) I mean, you like have to push it really hard on most of like, and it would like flicker. Like most of them didn't work. It's the most useless piece of crap, and they were they were trash. They didn't really do much good. What are you gonna do? Like your car breaks down, like in his situation, you're out in the dark. Like he's out there with his phone, right? You had your phone probably. Ah, yeah, yeah. Let's, well, I'll get to those flashlights in a second. But you weren't going to get this thing off your keychain and be like, this flickering light. You're not gonna, it, it doesn't light the way. And it draws no contrast to the darkness. It fails to do that. Too many Christians say they want to be a light to the world, but have no idea the pe- peculiarity only exists when we obey God's word as an unwavering lifestyle. That's what light really is. So many of us in, in this room, listen to me. Gosh. So many of us in this room have no problem promoting, shamelessly promoting self or self-interest but fail to promote in peculiarity submitted to the will of God a gospel message. And we're a flickering keychain light. And we light no one's way. And we don't provide a beacon. Light is light because it it's distinctly different from the dark. 2 Corinthians 6.14 Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? So where is the difference in your life? We're talking about holiness. Too many Christians live cheap alternatives to the radicalisms Radicalism we see in Acts. And if we're going to impact our world, we must not accept cheap alternatives. We've got to be different. And people need to see that. What is your testimony? For the apostles, their testimony was such that if they were to detain them by force, there would have been a riot. Yeah? That's just different. That's unique. Let's continue on. We've got a lot to cover here. Sorry, I don't have any cute way of wrapping that up. I'm, I'm transitioning now. (laughs) 
And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did, did not we straightly command you that you should not teach in the name, in, in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Now, first of all, they can't even say Jesus' name. Isn't that funny? They won't even say his name. Now, we've said this before, but the name of Jesus is a name that demands reverence. And to refuse it is to refuse life. And they refuse it. See, the thing that makes them cringe is the thing that sustains me. Yeah? The thing that makes most people cringe is the thing that is my absolute joy and privilege and life. And it is my breath. It is the breath that I breathe. I don't know. There's all these great songs, worship songs about, you are the air I breathe. (laughs) You are the air I breathe. But you know what? That's so true. I mean, and, and what a contrast exists there. The thing that people hate the most is the thing that I love the most. But second, listen to this. Second, listen to how they're confronted. Didn't we tell you not to teach this? And now you've turned the people against us by accusing us of Jesus' death. And the disciples stand there and they say, well, you're not wrong. Look, they're, they're, trying, they're trying to get them to repent of the gospel. Repent of the proclamation. They're trying to make them feel bad for preaching. They want them to believe that their message is somehow also their moral failure. Does that make sense? Listen to me. They, they want the apostles to believe that their message of gospel and the proclamation that Jesus Christ saves is somehow also their moral failure. That they're wicked for that. Now listen to me. This is super important. So key point number four. The enemy will always accuse us of failing their moral constructs. So in the case of the Sanhedrin, you have been defrauding the authorities of the temple. That's what they say, right? You've been defrauding the authorities of the temple and stirring up the people. This is immoral, and you should feel bad about it. Okay? You guys get that? That's the tone of what they're saying here. You see that? Now today, that looks a lot like things like this. You're intolerant. You're saying there's only one way to God? That's offensive, and that's narrow-minded. You know what I'm talking about? Your perspective on human life is an attack on the rights of women. You should feel bad about that. Your your prudishness, pudishness. Your prudishness makes people uncomfortable. We've asked you to go out with us multiple times now, and if you're not going to be our friend, we just, we just, we just want to have a drink, okay? If you don't like it, just come out and say it. You know, your view of the Bible is ignorant and harmful to the to the progress of science and society. The progress of science. But you hear people say things like this, yeah? Whatever the reason the enemy has for why you are wrong in believing in Jesus Christ, you should have an unwavering response to that. This is the point. You shouldn't feel guilty. Not for one second. You shouldn't feel guilty. That's just your your opportunity to say something like this. Verse 29, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, 
we ought to obey God rather than man. So, Sanhedrin, thank you for your perspective. I appreciate it. I respect, I respect it. And I respectfully decline. Thank you. I will not be affected. So, key point number five. Four. The numbers are off, aren't they? It is five. Yeah, the numbers are off. The numbers are off. I apologize for that. A surrendered Christian is unwavering in the, in the face of danger, is what we're talking about here. Because they have properly prioritized their obedience. This, they function under a different principle. There's a different guiding principle, a very simple one. In fact, it is the guiding principle of the entirety of the New Testament. There is a commission, okay? There is a command, yeah? And there is, yeah, Jorge, answer that. Let them know uh, Jesus saves, please. <laughs> um, so a surrendered Christian is unwavering because they have properly prioritized their obedience. And I, and I wonder, is your understanding of obedience properly organized? You know, Romans 13.1 teaches us that we're supposed to submit to all authorities. And so the gospel isn't an excuse for you to just disobey everybody anytime you want. Some of y'all are really mean to your parents, and you're freaking living in their house. Yeah? Some of you don't obey your bosses, your teachers. Uh, you, you, you struggle. You struggle to, be, to respect your authorities. And Romans 13 teaches us that to obey God is to obey the authorities in our life. Now, what I'm saying is that there is, a, there is a structure here. There is a hierarchy of obedience. And when, and when our authorities and what they say come in conflict with our surrender to God and the gospel message, well, we respectfully decline. And we say, I ought to obey God rather than than men. See, Christians aren't rebels. I know all this sounds like really rebellious, you know? Acts is so... Yeah? I, I'm not going to make Star Wars references. Never mind. Because would, Bryce would love that too much if I did that. He'd be like, <laughs> see, look at you, Nerd. Not going to do it. No, listen, listen to me. Christians, we're not rebels. It might look rebellious and all. We're not rebels. Christians are subservient. Lord? I hear you. I will obey. Deb was right, guys. <laughs> I stayed up too late on Friday night, and it's really messing me up. Okay, so let's get back to my point, because this is super important. Christians aren't rebels. Christians are subservient. They have their system of obedience properly organized. They understand it. Now, some of you don't, and it creates problems in your life, doesn't it? Right? You ever been fired from a job? Don't answer that. In your head, think about it. Do people at your, at your work dislike you? Okay. Now listen to me. People are going. People are going to dislike you. Okay. They're just. There are there are enemies. Okay. And they're going to dislike the things that you say because you're going to choose to do the unsafe thing and you're going to be rejected. But what I'm saying is, let the thing that's divisive be the gospel thing. Not the character thing. Let the thing that is the contrast, let the thing that is divisive, let the thing that is divergent be the gospel message, not your character. And understand properly 
what it means to submit. It's very important. Now, in response to the Sanhedrin, the apostles say, yeah, okay, okay, yep, uh, we're going to obey God, and you're right. We've been talking bad about you a little bit. So, let, so listen, what they do here is they, they synthesize their message for them. Okay, they've heard them preaching it, but listen, they synthesize the message here to make it clear. We're going to tell you exactly what we've been saying about you. And if you want to kill us for that, so be it. This is what we've been saying. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Fact or fiction? Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgive uh, and forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses of these things, and so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey him. That's our message. And you might not like it. But that's what we're doing. That's, that's, that's what we're doing. We're saying that. In verse 33. Verse 33. When they had heard that, they were cut to the heart and took counsel to slay them. I wonder how many of us read that and say, yeah, bring it on. See, Satan would have liked nothing more than to kill these apostles and silence the movement. 1 Peter chapter 5 tells us that Satan is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour His ultimate plan includes our death. That's his plan. Yeah? He's a physical aggressor. If we die, we're silent. That's his philosophy. That's the way he thinks. Now, Gamaliel is a well-respected Pharisee, and he steps in and he says, Hold on, fellas. Let's talk about this. Let's, Let's reason together. Okay? Verse 34, then... Then stood there up in one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among all the people. He was, he's well respected. And commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. Give them a little space, okay? And saith unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves that ye intend to do as touching these men. Like, really think about this. If you're going to lay hands on them and slay them, you, be, you better really consider the consequences here. For before these days rose up Theudas, boasting himself to be somebody. So he tells them a little story, and he says, remember guys, there was this guy named Theudas, and he had an uprising as well, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. In other words, let this thing play out. Let this thing play out. After this man rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing, another another rabber-rouser, and drew away much people after him. He, he also perished, and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men, and let them alone. For if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But listen, but if it be of God... Ye cannot overthrow it. Lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they had commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now listen. Wisdom on Gamaliel's part. If it's of God, it will survive no matter what we do. And it did. Not really Satan's philosophy, right? It's not, is it? But it's a biblical one. If it's of God, it'll survive. So, key point. God will execute his agenda, regardless of the enemy and regardless of our fears. So, okay, let's address the enemy first. No matter what the enemy does, if it's of God, it's going to make it. 
God's got a kingdom of agenda. He is going to build a kingdom. He will populate it the way he sees fit. That's what he's doing. That's why he sent Christ. That's why all of this was set into motion. God's going to do it. No man can stop it. Do, do as you please. Do as you please. Now, concerning you and your fears, the same thing applies. Oh, you don't, you don't want to participate. Oh, you're afraid. You don't want to take a risk for Christ. You don't want to open your mouth. You're going to live a life of fear. So be it. God's going to get it done with or without you. Now listen, he preferred to do it with you. He would prefer to do it with you. But he's going to do it either way. Now, now here's the conclusion of the matter of fearlessness. May I, in conclusion? So they threaten them, they beat them, they send them off. One more time. Let's see if this one sticks. Verse 41. And they, and they departed from the presence of the council. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple, these guys don't learn their lesson, do they? And in every house they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Our final key point is, true surrender looks like rejoicing when our obedience yields suffering. True surrender looks like rejoicing when our obedience yields suffering. So, again, going back, the thing that we fear the most is, is the outcomes that we don't see. The unknown. This causes us to misprioritize as a way of staying safe, protecting self. So we isolate, we hide. We put up a faux gospel. Faux gospel, meaning, meaning like, let's... Let's preach social justice. Let's do something that seems safe. So I can look spiritual, I can, I can call myself a Christian, and never have to go out into the public space and preach the gospel, because that is dangerous, and I don't know what the outcomes will be. Now, for these men, they anticipate the suffering, they take the risk anyway. They go, they preach the gospel relentlessly. They do not stop. And when they suffer the repercussions, they are unwavering to the point that they go back for more. That is not us. We have to change, we have to rewrite, we have to reprogram. We have to begin thinking this way. We have to. If we're going to have any impact before Christ's return. See, this is the true test of your faith. Are you unsafe? Are you unwavering? And are you undone in worship? See, these men, they get beat. Has anybody ever been beaten before, by the way? Yeah. Any ever been, anybody ever been jumped before? Okay. Yeah. That sucks, doesn't it? It's not cool. Yeah. I got jumped once. We won't talk about that. Um, getting beaten is just not a good thing. Yeah? Okay. But these men walk away rejoicing. Now, this happens again in Acts. I don't know if you remember, but there's this moment when, when Paul and Silas get put in prison and they've been given stripes. Do you know what a stripe is? It is when they whip you and tear the flesh off your back, leaving nothing but a stripe in its place. And they go into the prison and what do they do? 
they sing worship to the Lord. Now, I don't know how to tell you this because we're not there. See, see, you have to do the unsafe thing to actually suffer. You have to do that first. Okay? But I want you to anticipate as you're choosing to take risks for your faith and you're choosing to go out and to preach the gospel, I want you to understand that there are going to be repercussions. They might not look like this, but they're coming. And people are not going to like you. And you've got to go back. You've got to go back to your quiet place. You've got to go back to the congregation. And you've got to worship for it. It is a different way of thinking about everything. Guys, Acts is jacked up. And I'm telling you right now, it is, me- it is messing up my world. My understanding of the Holy Spirit is messing, it's changing the way I see what God does in my life. The way I understand the word. The way I understand surrender. The way I understand trial. It's doing something different to me. And I pray to God that if there's any of us today that can get through chapter 5, then none of, us, none of us would do that without saying, I want to be unsafe, I want to be unwavering, and I want to be undone in worship. With that said, worship team, come up, let's pray. If you need to deal with something today, come forward during the worship, please. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. And I just want to confess to you, God, I am worthless. Without you, I, I know I'm, I'm just a scumbag. And I can't get anything done. But with you, with you at the helm, with you as my captain, there is no risk that does not come with reward. And God, I struggle to believe that. And my fear gets in the way. And I'm distracted. And God, I pray that you would purge that from me. And that, Lord, I would be in tune with you. That I would see my reality the way you see it. That I would see my relationships and my opportunities and the things that you've given me to steward the way that you see them. And I know, and I don't know exactly what it looks like, but I know this, God, you're calling me to to do and to be and to live in such a way where I have to take risks for your sake. I can't be quiet. I cannot hide your light under a bushel. I can no longer live that way. I want to be a missionary everywhere I go, and you've got to do that in me. I need you. Help me. In Jesus' name, amen.